everybody. Episode 103 of Four for the Podcast. Andrew May alongside Robin Frey with all of you. Feels weird to get behind a mic and let it rip once again because we haven't done one of these. It's been probably about three weeks, but we've just had so much stuff going on. I've had a crazy busy schedule and Rob and I both being diehard Ranger fans. Obviously not going to be recording on nights of games because we're, we're totally locked in. So schedules didn't really align to be able to do an episode, but we're finally back today. We got a lot of stuff to catch up on and a lot of stuff to go over. Uh, baseball season, we've officially entered June. So this is when the, the real start to separate themselves from the fake. And as it stands today, you got the Mets with the best record in the National League and the Yankees with the best record in the American League. So it's an exciting time for fans of both teams on both sides of the river. And uh, we'll go in depth on both of those teams. We got to start off, though, begrudgingly with our New York Rangers, whose season came to a close last weekend. Uh, They lose in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, last time we got on the air, we were prepping for a Carolina series. So this is a long time coming that we've been unable to talk Rangers hockey, but their season comes to an end. Obviously they lose in six games in the Eastern conference final, uh, had a two Oh series lead after winning games one and two at Madison square garden proceeded to lose four straight. And now the lightning are taking on the Colorado avalanche uh, tonight game one of the Stanley cup final going for their third straight cup to try to really cement themselves as one of the top, if not the top dynasty in uh in sports history because what they've been able to done but what if they've been able to do in a salary cap era is pretty incredible um but as far as the rangers are concerned now every fan is probably in the same boat uh when the game ends you're disgusted they didn't play good at all um games three and four in tampa played horrendously game five at the garden they played a little bit better i thought they played well enough to win but obviously a, a goal in the final two minutes seals their fate in that game. And then game six was more of the same. They did not play good at all, dominated in 5v5. So as a Rangers fan, you're watching this unfold. You realize your season's coming to an end and you're incredibly frustrated. You're angry, you're disappointed, whatever the case may be. But I think it's probably for the best that we waited a couple days to come on. And we didn't do it purposely, um, just kind of what our schedule allowed. But I think it's beneficial that we waited a couple days because as it's as I've let it simmer, I've let it marinate a little bit. I have a different outlook on how things unfolded. It might be unpopular amongst Rangers fans. I don't know. But as I sit here today, I'm proud of the season that they had because at the end of the day, coming into the regular season, Rob, the goal was to make the postseason. And if you would have told any Rangers fan before the season had even started that the Rangers were going to make it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals and they were going to lose in six games to the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning, you would have been like, where's the dotted line? Sign me the hell up. That's the way everyone would have been before the season. Now, obviously, once you make it that far in the playoffs, all bets are off, right? You want to win the whole thing. Your expectations sort of get recalibrated a little bit. And obviously, when you take a 2 nothing series lead against the Lightning, then your thoughts really start running wild. Okay, we got a chance to win a Stanley Cup here. Uh, but now that you take a step back and you look at everything big picture, This is just the beginning. This was the first year of this championship contention window being open for the New York Rangers. You got into the playoffs. The Rangers had six different players, six different players, 22 years old or younger, that registered a point in this postseason. Got that meaningful postseason experience. They're going to be regrouped, rejuvenated, and better next year for a postseason run. Right? You got to see this core, this new core, that all kind of has some individual playoff experience, but they've never made it this far as a unit. 
they play those meaningful minutes and get that experience. So there's no doubt that this was a beneficial thing for the Rangers. And you know what they always say? That young team that gets their first taste of the playoffs, they always seem to go through that initial heartbreak first before they make it over the top. Now, there's no guarantee you're going to get this far because this is the toughest sport to win a championship in. But you're hopeful that they'll be back. And when you look at all those Rangers players being absolutely dejected on the ice, you're hoping that the vision and that moment stays in their head as motivation to not feel that pain again and to get over the top next year. So overall, now that I've let it simmer and I've let it marinate for a couple of days, I'm proud. It was a hell of a season. It was a hell of a run. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And while I was disgusted when they first lost because they were thoroughly outplayed, looking back on a big picture, I'm proud and I'm excited for next season because I think there's there's more exciting days to come as a Rangers fan. So I'm, I'm proud of the group. I, I don't know if I'm in the minority there, but, but that's the way I feel about four or five days removed from that loss. Well, you're in a minority on this podcast because I thought it sucked. And, you know, we could talk about how, you know, we're proud of what they did and we never expected them to, to get this far. And at the beginning of the year, if somebody would have told you, Hey, listen, we're going to get to, to the Eastern conference finals and, and lose to the, to the back-to-back Stanley cup champs in Tampa, blah, 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 blah. Would you sign up for that? Ideally in October? Yeah, you would. But when you're up two games to none, you're in their building mid-second period, and you have that two-nothing lead, and you're playing well. And then Jacob Trouba takes an inexplicable lazy stick penalty. And all of a sudden, the entire, not only just the game, the entire series took a dramatic change. And it led them to losing the four straight. Trouba was got off of that game. We discussed this, Andrew, uh, you know, on our own conversations outside of the podcast, obviously. They, they had some winnable games here. Now, granted, Igor Shesterkin kept them in games. Game three was winnable. Lost that game with 57 seconds left on a, a, a puck that goes up a Palat's hip. Game four, granted, that was a giveaway game. They were horrendous, terrible. Game five is on the stick of that shit bird, Ryan Strom, who me and you cannot stand, who cannot get out of this city fast enough for us. And he completely whiffed on the puck. That would have given them a 2-1 lead there. The Rangers outplayed the Lightning in that third period of game five to the point where they probably should have had a goal or two, culminating in the whiff by Strong. So they were winnable games. Even going into the game six, where Igor Shosturkin, again, kept them in the game. I get it. He did. Were we getting dominated? Absolutely. I'm not saying we weren't. But that game was 1-1 mid-third period until once again, 20 seconds off the faceoff after we tied a game on a goal by Frank Petrano, Jacob Truba gets caught flat-footed inexplicably. Stamkos blows around him, shot. Igor Shosturkin can't squeeze it in his glove. Puck, of course, floats in the air, off of Stamkos' knee, in the net, game over, series over. So am I feeling good about that right now? I'm not, and I'm going to tell you why. Dan Marino got got to the Super Bowl in his rookie year, and everybody told him, there's going to be plenty more for you to come, Dan. You are great. You're even going to get better. There's tons of hope. You took that big step in your rookie year. How many Super Bowls did Dan Marino get back to after that? 
Zero. Never got back. Never got close. So nobody's guaranteeing in a conference in which it took 104 points just to make the playoffs. You're not being guaranteed of having health next year, of having Igor Shosturkin play as many games as he did because he does have some issues with groin injuries. And you ideally, you want him to play 65 games. You're not the next steps off of these guys. There's no guarantees to next season. Yeah, could you say, well, Filipino took the next step? We don't know that yet. Yes, he played well in the playoffs. Hito was probably, arguably, maybe one of their better players after uh, Mika Zabinijad. He was very consistent, extremely consistent. He led that kid line that was, form- that was formed together. Are we guaranteed that Capo Caco is going to take that next step? Are we guaranteed that Lafreniere, who probably deserves to be on the top line, is going to take that next step? Are we guaranteed of any of that? We don't know. It's, it's, it, it's just not a given right now. And that's what makes it hard for me to accept the way they lost this series. I'll be honest with you, Andrew. If they got swept by the lightning and were never in any game, I'd feel a lot better. But the fact is, they had this game a couple of times on their stick to win this series. Game three again. Game five with Strom. That, those were winnable games that would have probably clinched it and they would have been in the Stanley Cup. Now, would they have matched up well against Colorado? Probably not. But listen, Colorado has a lot of issues in goal, a ton of issues in goal. Are they the better team? Yes, they'd be the better team. But I'd still take my chances with Igor Shosturkin and Net. So, yeah, I, I can understand the way you're looking at it optimistically and you're feeling better about it now. But from the day, from the, from the last second when that clock went to zeros and I knew their season was over, I still haven't gotten over it. Haven't well, gotten over it. Uh, and I definitely see where you're coming from. The loss doesn't sting any less, but I've just decided to look at it through a different lens, a big picture lens. And like I said, I acknowledge that nothing is guaranteed. I'm hopeful. This is a hundred plus point team this season. And I know you're in a conference where it took a lot of points to get into the postseason, but let's be honest, Pittsburgh, that entire big three, no guarantee they're back together. Washington is on the downturn. The Islanders are on the downturn. The Devils and Sabres are pathetic. So there's a spot there for the Rangers to get back into the postseason, regardless of what happens. The only thing is getting over the hump in the playoffs. And I think this meaningful experience as a unit, let's be honest too, they were tired. Now, that's not an excuse, and it's not acceptable, but it's a fact. They had played 20 games in 40 days. I know they're a youthful team, and I'm not excusing them from being tired because maybe you need to work on your conditioning. But the fact was they were tired, and you could see that in game six. There's a minute and a half left on the clock, and the Rangers are trying to push the issue and pull the goaltender, and there's a loose puck that, is fi- that Tampa fires the whole end of the ice just to ice the puck, and Adam Fox is skating after it, he has about a seven-foot head start on Andre Palat, and Palat beats him to lose puck to nullify the icing. They were dead. They had no legs. That nine-day layoff ended up 
working wonders for Tampa Bay. They came out a little bit rusty in the first two games, but they made their adjustments, and you can tell the difference in conditioning at the end of that series. So well, I the think Rangers they, were, they and, were also frustrated too. They were frustrated, too. and it's a Rangers mentally frustrating days. thing. You yeah. finally you, yeah. you you fight tooth and nail to finally get that tying goal, and then you give it up 21 seconds later. I mean, the wind was yeah. out of their sails. You knew that, that, defla- this, that deflated them. There's you knew the no game doubt. was over at that point. That, you knew that 100 percent deflated. And it was them. a lot of guys. Listen, Strom was a liability, and he's not that good to begin with. And we hate him. He was a liability to even be on the ice because he couldn't even skate. Lindgren was in pain. And that guy is a warrior. Same thing with warrior. Barkley Goodrow. Couldn't even skate, but that guy was a warrior. He went out there and he battled and he fought. And hopefully that and rubs he, off on the rest of this yeah. team. Well, you got to hope that they looked at a team like the Lightning and saw the heart of a champion and what it takes. Because the Lightning showed the heart of a champion. That's what they did. Yeah. That's, that, yeah. that's a team that showed that they're – listen, when they, was, when, they would, when they were up two games to nothing, I never thought this series was close to being over. Because it's never over until you lose a game yeah, on home we, ice. we were down 2-0 against the yeah. Hurricanes and came yeah. right back. So, we were down 3-1. We've been in the opposite side of the, of the, yeah, of the 100%. driver's seat. I knew that this was not over, and I knew that the Lightning were not going out that easily unless Hedman, Stamkos, and Kucherov all were in the same plane crash, God forbid. I, I'm just saying. You know, I mean, so you just – you cannot never count out the heart of a champion. They're never going to go down that easy. Um, but, look – Looking past this, Andrew, the Rangers have a lot of decisions to make. And that's another concern because they're up against the cap. Because now you have Mika Zibinijad and Adam Fox's contracts kicking in this season. And right now, just what I believe it's only like eight or ten guys. They only got like $13 million left to spend on the rest of the roster. They're going to need a backup, um, a backup goalie on top of that. Now, look, I'll be honest with you. We've seen the same thing from Artemi Panarin, and it was concerning. Artemi Panarin is a guy that never had success in the playoffs with Columbus. He's the type of guy that no matter what, he's not going to change his style of play, which is kind of too cute for the playoffs. You get away with that in a regular season with your blind backhanded passes, you know, taking chances with your passes across the ice, middle of the ice, you know, trying to thread the needle with if you, you know, you're not playing with a lot of space here in the playoffs. Well, I it's mean, that's not happening. That, I'm glad you brought that up because that was, that was going to be my next point looking forward. And yeah. And, and one thing I wanted to say too, is, is it made me think of this because you brought up Marino. Um, ben Roethlisberger, when he did his vintage Dan Marino fake spike through that touchdown to Antonio Brown, right? That game, Pittsburgh ended up losing. They let Dallas go down the, the ice and uh, down the ice, down the field and score in 30 seconds. So no one talks about that play anymore. Had the Steelers won that game, you'd probably still be talking about that Roethlisberger fake spike. And that gave me, I got flashes of that when I watched game six, because there's no doubt in my mind, if the Rangers would have won that game, you'd be talking about Igor Shesterkin's goaltending performance for the next 50 years, because Absolutely that was tremendous. one of the more incredible postseason goalie performances I've ever seen. That guy was incredible. So hats off to him. Looking forward, and a lot of Rangers fans have the same complaint with Panarin. You and I are two of them. We're in the same boat. The one thing I would say to play devil's advocate is it's very easy when you have basically two traffic cones playing on a line with you. In a perfect world, I like Andrew Kopp. I like his game. In a perfect world, he's a third line forward. And Ryan Strom is horrendous and obviously was dealing with that injury. It looks like he needs pelvic surgery in the offseason. He couldn't even skate. So that line becomes very one-dimensional. You shut down Panarin, you shut down the rest of that line. If you get a capable number two center, capable second line right wing, all of a sudden 
that line becomes a lot harder to defend. Now, on the other side of the coin, you know, these, these young teams, they get their first taste of the playoffs. All right, they got the experience, and now you know what they're lacking. They can go out, address it personnel-wise, and they'll come back ready to go. The Rangers are in a difficult spot now because, like you said, they don't have a ton of maneuverability. So they're kind of going to be running it back with a very similar team and just hoping things go differently because there's really no clear avenue to be able to do anything this offseason. They have $13 million in space, need a backup goaltender. There's four restricted and or unrestricted free agents that they're going to at least explore bringing back, right? They're going to explore bringing back Vetrano. They're going to do the same thing with Rooney, same thing with Mott. Those are guys that they're going to cop. Those are four guys right there who are free agents that they're going to explore bringing back. And with that being said, you're letting Ryan Strome walk, so you need to replace your second-line center. So this is one thing, and, and again, this might be an unpopular take amongst Ranger fans, but I think it's something that needs to be said and needs to be done. I think Chris Drury would be an absolute moron if he doesn't pick up the phone and call every other general manager in the league and see what he can do with Jacob Truba. Because let me tell you something. That is one of the worst contracts in the NHL right now. And I like Truba, and he grew on me this past year. He did, because he's a physical presence. I like his game. But he's making $8 million a year. He can't skate, he can't back check, and he gives you little to no offensive production. You cannot be paying $8 million a year to a guy who occasionally lays a big open ice hit and is a good glue guy in the locker room. That's not worth $8 million a year. Adam Fox is making $9 million a year. Jacob Troop is not worth $8 million a year. So if you could somehow get that contract off the books and instead of $13 million, you're looking at $21 million, then all of a sudden you have a lot more maneuverability. And again, that's just spitballing because if you traded him, I'd imagine you'd probably have to retain some of that money. And he has a no-move clause that's in effect until 2024, which complicates things even further. But you need to be picking up the phone and seeing what you can do there because that contract ultimately is the big one that's going to be coming back and haunting them. All the other guys getting big money are key contributors to this team. Truba at $8 million is not one of those guys. You could find someone who plays a similar style of hockey and gives you a similar amount of offensive production for half the price. Yeah, I don't see that happening because if you if you listen to a, any of the exit interviews, to a man, most of the Rangers all thought that Jacob Truba should have been the captain of his team. And not only did they talk about just because of his leadership on the ice, but they said he takes a lot of the brunt of it off the ice. Um, they wax poetic about Jacob Truba to the point where he was the one guy that they truly wax poetic about. I know Kreider was at, you know, had his, uh, had his uh, um, um, end of the season presser there. And he was tearing up talking about Mika Zabinajad and the way he stepped up and everything. But it seemed like to a man, Jacob Druba had so much respect in that locker room on the ice and off the ice that I don't see them moving him this season. I don't. And I'll I be mean, honest I, with you. I'm going to be honest with you. That's great. If I'm, I'm going to look to that. move a contract, though, Andrew, I'd almost look to move Panarin's contract if it's movable. I really would because his performance was concerning in this playoff. It really was. It was three series in a row where he did absolutely nothing. I understand he got the, the, clinch, uh, the, the series clinching goal against Pittsburgh in the overtime. I get that. It wasn't enough for me. He did absolutely, absolutely nothing. Nothing 
He made no impact whatsoever for a guy you're paying $11 million a year for. You cannot have that. You cannot go through 20 games in a playoff series and have your guy that's making $11 million a year, your top six forward, and the guy that got you 96 points in a regular season do absolutely nothing. He was a no-show. And at times, it was almost like his play was lazy. There was no back-checking. There was no forechecking. There was no physicality. I understand he's not a physical type of player, but you're in the playoffs. His style of play does not – it does not dictate playoff hockey. It's but again, let me, let me ask you a question now. Like I just said, Jacob Truba, and this is all hypothetical, but Jacob Truba makes $8 million. You know who else is going to get $8 million on the open market? Philip Forsberg is going to get $8 million a year in the open market. If you have Philip Forsberg on your right wing and Panarin on your left, do you have as much concern as you do now over this team's five-on-five offense? Well, An additional no. $8 million yeah. in cap space could go a long way in addressing the holes on this team. Well, listen, they could play around a little bit because I'm going to tell you something. One thing they can do if they want to save some money here, they can move Philip Hedl up to the second-line center and play him with Kako and Lafreniere. Play them together. You can keep Crowder as a bit. You move Crowder to the right and put Panarin move, on the left on the top move, line. Move right and move those two guys. Have them play in the top line. Keep those three that that kid line who, for the most part, ninety percent of those games they were they were our best line. I mean, outside of Mika Zibanejad, Chris Crowder was another guy that really was wildly inconsistent. He wasn't a Chris Crowder of the regular season. I know he scored what six, seven goals he had, but. Just wasn't enough. He didn't give us enough. And again, give in, us game, a- in game six, Mika throws a puck wide of the net that yeah. cried has scored 52 goals doing the yeah. same exact thing all season long. What does it do? It misses yeah. a stick, hits a skate, stick. goes wide. Yeah. So, look, I, you could do that, and you want to save some money. You can you can easily do that. Now, don't forget, we did sign Vitaly Kravtsov the day after uh, um, we lost that series. There's and no seems, doubt he'll be on this team. I it think. seems like they, they kind of mended their fences with Kraftsoft, the Ranger organization, Kraftsoft with Chris Drury. There was some contentious uh, um, uh, moments there between the two of them. So it seemed like Kraftsoft did want to come back to the Rangers. Now, this kid's a, a wildly talented winger uh, who could possibly make an impact at an $850,000 cost, which would be tremendous for this team. Now, look, he he's going to He's going to have to earn his stripes here with this team because of what he did last season by leaving his team and basically acting like a, you know, an immature uh, uh, child, you know, so uh, he'd have to earn his stripes here. But this is the type of kid that if you earn the stripes, he can make an impact here at a cheap cost. And let me tell you something. If you could do it to where you have Heedle as your second line center because he proved so much in his playoffs. Let's hope he could carry it over. And you put him with Lafreniere and Kako, and they could formulate that kid line like they had in the playoffs, which had so much success with Kreider, Zabinijad, and Panarin at top. Well, your third line could start with whoever you want to bring in at a, at a cost-effective uh, uh, measure. You understand? So you and could bring in a is- guy like Vincent Trocek, who I love. I'm a big Vincent Trocek guy. Yeah. You could yeah. bring him at a three, $4 million cost as the third-line center and then just surround him. Uh, with a, uh, you know, whether it be a Barkley Goodrow or Tyler Mott, you could bring back, you know, that's some way to save some money here. Also with the, with buying out Patrick Nemeth or attaching an asset 
to Patrick Nemeth and sending him to somebody that has to get to the to the uh, salary cap floor. Well, like you know what? Like I, Arizona. I originally thought they'd do a similar thing that they did with Mark Stahl. You remember they they sent Mark yes. Stahl to Detroit, packaged a second round pick with them for them to take that contract on. Yeah. Now Nemeth is not making nearly as much money as Stahl was, so it wouldn't require a second round pick. But I don't even know if they're going to be willing to give up assets in general. They might just buy him out because they can push the buyout payment back a couple years, yeah. so that when the salary cap goes up, is yeah. when they'll be, you know, suffering the the. They'll they'll the buy him out. Penalty. They're going to wind up buying him out. So it won't necessarily matter for them. But I mean, there's work there's work to be done. There's work to be done. Now out of these free agents, obviously Strom, you know, you said it. Can't get out of Done. town fast. Done. I, he he comes back. I don't know. If, I don't even know if I could watch them. And that says <laughs> a lot for me because Frank. I cannot, I cannot have that guy back on it because I'll tell you the truth. It was unbelievably questionable what they did. And I still think something else went on with Kako than what they were alluding to, because let me tell you something. The fact that you dress Dryden hunt over Capo Kako, who really look at the games. He was not that bad. He was not their biggest problem here. Capo Kako was not that bad. He actually played pretty well at times. And you're starting Dryden Hunt and, and a severely injured Ryan Strom, who couldn't even skate through the first period over Capo Caco, who you scratched. I'm telling you right now, Andrew, there was something else that went on with that kid. There was rumors about some sort of disciplinary measure for him. Maybe they're trying to protect the kid. It wouldn't shock me. The fact that the Rangers would make a decision like that and if it was true that they were only just trying to put their best lineup in and they felt their best lineup was Dryden Hunt playing for eight minutes and Ryan Stromer couldn't skate and who sucks on, on two good legs with two good hips over Capo Caco, then I'd have to highly question Gerard Gallant's thinking and Chris Jorari's thinking. If that, let, me no tell you, let me tell you something. If, if that was the thinking, then you know what? It's a fireball offense that Drury did not snatch up Cassidy, Bruce Cassidy before he went to the Golden Knights and hire him over Gallant if that was the case. Because there's no way in, my, in your right mind as a, as a hockey coach, as a hockey mind, a bright hockey mind, that you could think that that was a good idea. So there had to be something behind the surface. Because again, they wax poetic about the kids saying how much they expect him to be a top six forward next year. So if you expect him to take that leap and be a top six forward while simultaneously thinking with your backs up against the wall in an elimination game in the Eastern Conference Finals, that dressing Dryden Hunt gave you a better chance of winning than Capo Caco, which is it? And also when he was posed the question, Gallant was a bit angry when he was responding to it. And he didn't give, he gave kind of a curt response, you know, so he looked like he was angry when he was asked that question, like he wasn't happy about something. It wasn't just like, oh, we just decided to use our best lineup. He gave a little bit more of a, of a response that had a little bit of a meaning to it. So I, I kind of really do think that they're just protecting the kid at this point because there's no way in their right minds that they would dress Capo Caco over Dryden Hunt, who didn't play since the first series and who is basically just a fourth liner who's going to give you maybe seven or eight minutes and nothing else. And if you're struggling for five-on-five five play, you're going to tell me Dryden Hunt was your best option when you're struggling with with five on five play. Even I mean, if you, or, even if you I mean, did, even if you did, the lack of accountability is jarring. You can't just give yeah. that was the best lineup. You got to give some specifics no. because you know what? It didn't yeah. work out. It didn't work out. Now I'm not saying Capocaco plays that game miraculously. They end up winning because obviously Dryden Hunt dressing was not the difference in the game. But there has to be a little bit of accountability there. Now Frank Vitrano. Is he a New York Ranger next year? 
I, I tell you, Vitrano was good at times, but just doesn't give you enough to 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 warrant uh, a contract like he might want to warrant him to be playing on uh, as a top six forward. Um, I do like the kid shoots the puck, puck on a stick. Puck is that, really that's why I think that he's a breath of fresh air because for a team that loves to make the extra pass so much, he gets it on his tape and shoots it. That's he, what I like is. about him. I just, but again, I just don't know. Listen, if the term and the money's right, bring him back. Why not? I, I don't, I don't have a problem with that, but the money's got to be right because you know, when you're up against the cap, like the Rangers are, you know, you got to spend your money wisely here. And the Rangers need some playoff type performers again. If you know, Sammy Blaze coming back is going to be huge for them if he could stay healthy because he's that guy that I think they could use that north south player. And again, we've seen it in his limited time when he was playing before he got the ACL, inj- ACL injury when Subban slew footed him. Um, and he was almost ready to come back. Maybe if they would have made it to the finals, there was a chance you would have seen him play. Uh, he's the sort of guy that, you know, who's only going to be making about 1.6, I think they were saying, probably get the uh, like a qualifying offer. Uh, he'd be the type of guy you could use as well as a, as a bottom six forward. He'd be, he'd be a, um, a legit guy. Now, look, I like Cops' game. I like Vetrano's game. I like what these guys bring to the table. But if I'm Chris Jury, I think my top priority out of all the impending free agents is bringing back Tyler Mott. That would be my yeah, top priority. Yeah, and Mott, again, will not, you know, he, he's not going to break the bank on you. No. Tyler Mott, you could see he's versatile. He, he played a strong checking game. Fourth line gave you a ton of energy, was a penalty killer. Uh, I would bring back Tyler Mott, absolutely. I don't think it'll take a lot to bring him back. Um, again, I don't know what the term and what the money would be like, but if it matches up with the Rangers could afford, then absolutely, I, I'd be willing to bring back Tyler Mott. Vitrano, again, I'd be careful with Vitrano because, uh, I look, he, he had some moments in the playoffs, scored a couple of big goals, but he also had some moments where he was almost a scratchable player. He yeah, was he was, guy. he was he was useless at times. Yeah, he was pretty useless at times. You know, part of, me, part of me thinks, defensive zone, part of me thinks they'd bring him back because I also think, you know, obviously you heard Strom say what he say, but when it came to the 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 trade deadline acquisitions, Cop, Vetrano, and Mott, Cop and Mott answered the questions about their future very professionally. This is my first time reaching unrestricted free agency. I loved my time here. Haven't really thought about it yet. Thinking more about the loss, yada, yada. Frank Vetrano was the one who came right out and said, I love this team. This front office is as professional as they come. The fans' energy is incredible. I have unfinished business here. So, and they like him, and he obviously likes it here. So, again, there's a, there's a possibility for the price tag to line up. I agree with everything you're saying. Yeah, as long as, as everything matches up with and, the Rangers need to do. Yeah, right. no and doubt. he wouldn't be a priority for me. But I I'm do not think saying that I there's mutual back, interest but, there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there'd have to be some mutual interest. And there has to be a little bit of, you know, they're going to have to have a little bit of maneuverability to Rangers. Look, you know, nobody, uh, all the young guys are staying. There's no doubt about that. We know that. Patrick Nemeth will probably be bought out, like we said. Uh, I wouldn't shock me if they brought back another veteran defenseman on the chief and don't be surprised if you see maybe Brendan Smith come back. You know, I, I didn't know, I, to be honest with you, why they let Brendan Smith walk up the door to sign Patrick Nemeth. And I, I really believe that it was, it was solely because that they thought Nils Lundqvist 
was going to make this team and they wanted to give him a little bit of a comfort level with another Swedish player. So they brought in Patrick Nemeth for that communication. Uh, I, that's the reason why I think, I honestly think yeah, but you that's know what? the reason I, why they did that. I, and you had brought that up a while ago and I thought that that was probably an interesting point, but then during that Rangers hurricane series, I started hearing all these stories. They were talking about it on the broadcast. I read an article in the athletic about how Brendan Smith went out and basically learned how to speak the same yeah. language as Kako yeah. to kind of take him under his wing when he was brought in. So I, Kako no was living in Brendan Smith's house. Right. So there's no doubt in my mind, Smith could have done the same thing with Lundqvist. If yes. that learning curve was the, your biggest concern, Smith could have done the same thing. You, I you know, like Brendan Smith. I thought he was a professional. I thought he was the ultimate teammate. I don't know why they let him walk out the door to sign Patrick Nemeth is beyond me. And all of that to a two-year contract. Brendan Smith was three a year. solid. Three-year. Nemeth has two three more years, years left. I thought it was a two-year. No, he has two more years left at two oh, and a half God. million per. Yeah. Uh, awful yeah, contract. Awful, 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 awful contract. So he'll be bought out. But again, here's another thing, like, obviously, and I, I thought Braun filled his role. He was another trade deadline acquisition. Let me he, tell you something. Braun was an role. underrated player in the playoffs. He, he was. actually played well. But a guy like that, you're, you're not going to bring back just because of the fact that he's 36 years old. But you're going to try to find, I would imagine, someone like him maybe to be your seventh defenseman or maybe oh, to be the second guy bring on him your back. third You pair. can bring him back as the right price. Why not? He's got... He's got familiarity with the team, a familiarity with the system. He's got 120 career playoff games played so, now. So, you know, and, he, and he, I tell you the truth, I thought, I thought he played well. I'll be honest with you, we didn't hear his name all that much in a negative light at all. And didn't, you know what? I, what did I say to you? Your third pair penalties. defenseman, if you don't hear your third yeah. pair defenseman's name, that's a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, I would have to think that the moment for Trouba to be traded would be next season when Miller and Schneider and those young kids take that next step, that, that big step where you could trust them with, with, uh, with um, top two minutes, top paired uh, minutes. So here's what I'm looking at here. And again, but it's Ke- just- Keandre Miller, as good as he was, that kid has to get a little bit bigger and has got to be more physical and learn to take the body more. He's a little too much with the stick. And he's phenomenal with the stick, but you're right. For a guy his size, he needs to be a little bit more physical, for sure. Now I'm looking up and down this roster, and this is just me spitballing, okay? You figure you're roughly in a $13 million range as far as cap space is concerned, right? And you figure after Vitaly Kravtsov signs that one year, $875,000 or $850,000, whatever it is, you're going to be looking somewhere in the $12 to $13 million range. Let's say they bring back Tyler Mott. You figure he's going to get around the same average annual value as a guy like Barkley Goodrow got, maybe a little bit less. And obviously, they're not going to sign him for six years like they did with Goodrow. I'm thinking maybe a three-year deal in a two to two to half million dollar range. Again, I'm not a capologist. I'm not a general manager, but that's just spitballing. So let's say that's the deal he signs. He comes back with the Rangers. Now you're looking, you're around $10 million. Okay. Do they bring back Vetrano? I don't know. You need a backup goaltender. They're not going to bring back Georgiev, I wouldn't think. You need a backup no. goaltender. No, he's not coming back at all. One to two million dollars on a backup goaltender, a veteran goaltender, a, a Braden Holtby type guy, someone who's been a starter, has experience. Yeah, Braden Holtby, Thomas Grice, one of those someone guys. Someone like you know. that. A million to a million, a million and a half to two million dollars for a guy like that. Now all of a sudden you're looking at around eight million dollars in cap space, right? 
you explore bringing back cop to put on your third line. Maybe that's a guy three and a half, $4 million a year. I think he's going to want more than that. So then he walks out the door. You have no choice. You can't bring him back at that price. You don't have a ton of maneuverability. And that the point I'm trying to make is that is why I think you have to at least explore what to do with Jacob Trouba's contract, because the, the, the value that he provides to the team just doesn't equate to the check that he's being cut every year. It, it just doesn't. And again, with as cap hamstrung as they are, you know, I was just punching the numbers. All of a sudden you bring back a fourth line, you bring back a fourth line center and a backup goalie. And then all of a sudden you only have $6 million in cap space left and you need a number two center. You need another third line winger. You could use another veteran defenseman to put on your third pair next to Braden Schneider, unless you want to put two young kids on that third line right away. So there's not a ton of money there. That extra $8 million can go a long way because then, like I said, you could start, you free up that $8 million. Hypothetically, you could start big fish hunting there. You can look to see if you want to sign Philip Forsberg to play wing on your second line. You could see if you can maybe lure Patrice Bergeron out of going back to Boston, sign him to a two-year deal for $6 million a year, something in that range. All of a sudden, if Patrice Bergeron is the second-line center, uh, second center of this team, that's a huge move. You don't have that maneuverability right now. So it's just food for thought for Chris Drury. And I also don't know how he feels I mean, I don't know how many strings he was pulling when he was in his assistance role and doing a lot of work in Hartford. He's not tied to this whole roster. I mean, credit to Drury because we knew what this team was missing last year, and he went out and addressed it, signed Reeves, signed Goodrow, went out and got Mott at the deadline, right? He, he, he definitely, Sammy Blay, another move. He identified where this team was lacking, and, and he has a vision that I think is conducive to winning meaningful hockey games late in the season. So yeah. we'll see how he feels. I, I kind of think he's going to go the way I was talking earlier, Andrew. I think he's going to go the way of giving Heedle, Kako, and Lafreniere that second line and giving Heedle every opportunity to be that second line center. And why not? I mean, why not? The way this kid performed in the playoffs, this is the way that kid performed in his rookie season when everybody's seen the talent level that he had. And again, he's only 21. You know, we keep on, we keep on rushing the careers of these kids not realizing how young they were. Lafreniere was absolutely tremendous the entire playoff series. Yeah, did he score a ton of goals and points? No. But if you watched his entire game just develop, it was wonderful to see. His physicality was unreal. And he hasn't even had a beer yet. Yeah, he's 20 years old. <laughs> Capo Cackle's 21. To me, give these kids a chance to blossom. They listen, they performed on the highest stage in these playoffs at the biggest time. They can make this work in a regular season. You know, it comes with maturity. These kids elevated their game. It was beautiful to see at some of these games that they played against Pittsburgh and against Carolina. Now, look, going against Tampa, they faced a veteran team, a team that was, you know, they weren't used to seeing. So, you can understand the issues that they had. But, man, I tell you, I would give those kids a shot at that second line. I really, really would. And, listen, if you have to throughout the season, if you want to move Lafreniere up, Panarin back down, Kako up, Panarin back down, mixing crabs off, whatever, you have that, that maneuverability. And then whoever you get as your third line, I mentioned Vincent Trocek. 
I love Vincent Trocek. I, I've been a fan of his since his Florida days. To me, that's the perfect third-line center right there. The perfect third-line center. So, you know, they, they got their they, – look, as much as they're coming off an incredible run, Chris Drury and company have their work to be done, Andrew. They have their work. For sure. For so, sure. And uh, one thing I'm thankful for, too – and it turned a little. It turned some heads, and some people were skeptical that they signed him to the deal because, like you said before, he's got a propensity for these groin injuries. That's Igor Shosturkin. They locked him up to that long-term deal at five million per. Yeah. If they gave him a one-year bridge deal or a two-year bridge deal, and he comes off, which he's undoubtedly going to win the Vezina, that'd be another contract that you'd be looking at and saying, "Holy smokes, that's yep. going to be another cap killer as well." But now they got him locked up for yeah. another five years at that at that manageable price. So kudos for doing that, that was too. Smart. Yeah, yeah. That was 100%. great. That was great hindsight. So let's get into the baseball here. We spent enough on a hockey right now. I don't know if you all – you know, let's start with the Yankees because, uh, look, I mean, the Yankees, I, I mean, the only reason I want to start with them is because me, you, and the majority of non-Yankee fans were in lockstep that we thought this team was just going to be – you know, basically a team that was going to be selling off pieces at the trading deadline. And they are just having an incredible season. And I'll tell you, more than anything, you look at that entire AL, and does anybody scare you in that AL right now besides the Yankees? I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm not a Twins believer. No, and, no. And anytime the Twins match up with the Yankees, you know, it's, it's a beatdown anyway. But does any team maybe – I mean, listen, I understand the White Sox are not off to a good start. Three games under 500. They've had some injuries to deal with. They still have a good lineup. They have some good pitching. So maybe they kind of can turn it around a little bit. But the White Sox are having issues. I don't believe, I'm not a big believer in the Twins. The Blue Jays, yes. The Blue Jays are a team. They're 12 games under 500, um, 12 games over 500, but they are eight games back of the Yankees. To me, it's just, it's, if you're talking about big picture playoffs, to me, it's just Houston because they have that pedigree of being able to win at that time of year. That's the only yeah, team but that do I they think have really that pitching. Do they have that pitching that they've had in the past? They do not have that. They don't. But again, do they I'm go out and not get entire, it? I, I, it's going to sound silly, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm not entirely certain that the Yankees do either. I, I, I need to see Tyone and Cortez and Montgomery continue to do this for the full 162 before I start oh, believing. No I mean, doubt, I think but... I think Cole has gotten over that. I think it was more of a mental thing with him after the whole spider attack. He's certainly overcome that. But am I ready to proclaim Tyone as this hidden gem that the Yankees uncovered? No. And I mean, I watch Cortez pitch. I mean, the guy tops out at 92 on the gun, throws a cutter 60% of the time. Like, he, he literally has the repertoire of Mariano Rivera, but his pitchers don't do the same things that Mariano Rivera's did. But somehow he's been able to do it. But I need to continue. I need to continue to see it before I'm believers that they can go into a well, postseason series and have the definitive pitching edge. Look, the way they've pitched so far this year, no doubt they got. I the was going to say anybody, mid, midway, but, midway through June, they 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 haven't given you given you a reason to believe that they cannot do it, and their bullpen is absolutely dynamic. You know, Clay thing, Holmes thing, and Michael King are just. The thing we have to remember, though, the thing we have to remember, and again, I'm not raining on anybody's parade, but it's just a fact. The Yankees right now, I I don't know the exact number, but I saw someone had posted that the the Mets have more wins against teams that are over 500 than the Yankees have games played against teams over 500. 
they've been beaten up on the basement of the American League. Now, it's not their fault. The majority of the American League is horrendous. So you can no, only but play Andrew, who's on they your had schedule. A face, they had to face the Blue Jays. They dominated the Blue Jays. Blue Jays couldn't beat the Yankees. Well, they, they, they came split in, they with, beat a white thing. They split with Toronto. They beat the White Sox. They split with they Toronto, the, too, yeah, but too. They, and the White Sox are not having it. Listen, what I was going to say is they got a 23-game stretch coming up right here, starting with the series against the Rays. They have, a tw- I think it's 23 consecutive games, whereas we sit here today, every single team is over 500. That's going to be five turns through this rotation. After these five turns through the rotation, maybe I'll have a different tune. I want to see them at, you know, it's easy to do this when they have 10 games played against the Baltimore Orioles. They got six games played against the Detroit Tigers. They played another three this past weekend against the Chicago Cubs, where their run differential was like plus 27. I mean, it's embarrassing. But it goes back to what I said about the American League. Does anybody scare you there? It's it's right. Nobody does. It's all no. garbage. No, but you know I mean, what? It, when you get into a playoff series against a team like Houston, who's who's been a perennial winner and has won a championship, that's why I say they're the only team that scares me. Toronto doesn't have that experience. The Twins are frauds. They're beating up on a terrible division. The Twins suck. They always have. Even a couple of years ago, they won a hundred games. That team sucked too. They they suck. They're not a good team. So I'm not scared no. of them either. But no, the, the Twins are frauds. I agree. I hate that Twins team because every time they make the playoffs, they get their ass kicked in by the Yankees. It doesn't even matter. You know, the Blue Jays are the one team that I think when it comes down to it, if the Yankees have to match up with them in the playoffs, that, that could give them a problem because they have some pitching and they certainly have a lineup, the Blue Jays. So we'll see. But, you know, this Yankee team, the way, uh, you know, it's, it's looking like the, the, the things that we were all questioning about Brian Cashman moves, have all come to fruition. Kind of Falefer has given them terrific defense uh, at shortstop. But the catches it. Trevino's been tremendous too, for them. Trevino has been awesome. I, I, yeah. you know, I, I was on this podcast saying that kind of Falefer was a hell of a pickup because that's who yeah. he is. He's a 300 hitter. He always has been. He's been a little utility guy that flies under the radar. But you know what? He he fits this team perfectly with what they needed. But he's given them great defense up the middle. He's given them great defense up the middle. I mean, but that's here's the thing. thing you got to remember though. What's been this? What's been the Achilles heel of the Yankees when they get to the playoffs? It hasn't been the pitching. I mean, we're I'm here talking about how I'm I'm still a little iffy on this pitching staff because I think they're pitching over their heads. But once they get into the playoffs, it, it's never been the pitching that's did them in. It's been the bats, and that's what you got to look at up and down this lineup. I mean, Aaron Judge is running away with the MVP at, at this point. I mean, that guy is just having an incredible season. And you know what? I didn't blame Brian. Get paid. I didn't blame Brian Cashman for not pe- paying Aaron Judge because I thought they made a more than reasonable offer. But at this point, it's looking bad on him because what's going to happen is he's going to be bullied into paying Judge what he wants. And first of all, at the pace he's on now, I don't care how good he is. It's just it's mathematically impossible for him to replicate what he's doing this year so far. I mean, is he's on pace to break records that people thought were never going to be broken? So he's obviously not going to replicate that. You don't know how that contract is going to age. So he's going to get bullied into giving a, a big long-term contract. So it looks bad on him. But I mean, up and down this lineup, LeMayhew is not having a great season. Torres has bounced back, but he's not 2019 Torres. Joey Gallo, they finally made up their minds. And if he plays, he's in a nine hole, but he's playing sparingly now. So they finally made a good decision there. Oh, Stanton's God. having I mean, I a decent season. Rizzo has fallen off a cliff since April. So the bats are going to be another question mark, too. I mean, you get into the postseason, you're facing that good pitching all the time, and you're not facing the Jordan Lyles from Baltimore's of the world. Are you going to be able to mash the way you are? 
So they don't even, I tell you the truth, you know, there, there was a time where they, they, they lost Josh Donaldson and Giancarlo Stanton for a couple of weeks, yet they still continued to win. And they, and, and they scored 10 runs three times without those yeah, guys. They, but it wasn't so much the mashing, it was more the pitching than anything. It kind of led them because nobody's hitting for average with the exception of Judge on that team. Gleyber Torres, yeah, he's got his power back, but he's not hitting for average. No, I think he's hitting 250, you know, Torres. Yeah, I don't even know if he's hitting that. But he's got his twelve homers now. No, the only I mean, guys who are hitting for average, it's it's actually Judge and it's Trevino. Trevino's hitting three oh eight. Yeah, yeah. He's he's Amazingly been, he's been incredible. He kind of basically incredible. He basically took Higashioka's job from him, Trevino. Yeah, and he was the guy that was brought over because of his exceptional defense. Yeah. So look, you know, we'll see. Like you said, the Yankees got some games coming up against maybe some some tougher competition, but I don't know this Yankee team, the way they're pitching and the way that bullpen has performed, and Clay Holmes has stepped in seamlessly you know with the Araldis Chapman uh, um, uh, injury Clay Holmes is dominant right now I'm telling you what dominant. when Chapman comes back he will not be the closer will yeah not. I would have to I, yeah I'd have to think the Yankees would have to think long and hard about that Holmes' ERA for the season is 0. .38 yeah. .38 ERA for the entire season Clay Holmes that guy and we've talked about him before on this podcast right? this is a guy that was DFA by the Pittsburgh Pirates yeah. Pittsburgh Pirates, who is like the epitome of minor league arms that just get cycled through the bullpen. You know what, on Andrew, Sometimes basis. you get a different voice with a different philosophy, and they could maybe just kind of change the mechanics in, in a certain way, whether it be a grip or the way you're standing on the mound or whatever it may be that another guy sees that another organization didn't, you know. Well, that's why I think that their pitching coach, Matt Blake, deserves a ton of credit. Because if you look at these starting pitchers, all five of them have has seen an uptick in their usage of the cutter. Garrett Cole has never thrown a cutter before this year, and now he's using it like 15% of the time. Cortez is using the cutter at like 50% of the time. Like, it's, it's his go-to pitch. These are all guys who've seen an uptick in cutter usage. It's got to be a, a directive, not necessarily a directive, but it's got to be some sort of advice from Blake. And like... I said with Holmes, a guy who was DFA'd by the Pirates, he comes to the Yankees. Now, all of a sudden, he's throwing 102 mile an hour sinkers. I mean, he's been unhittable. A guy like Michael King, who was looked at as a bust or a failed starter, pretty much as a prospect, now he's unhittable in that bullpen. Schmidt's been good in that bullpen. The, o- the only guy who you had promised for that really hasn't panned out so far this year is Loisega. Everybody other that- than that in that bullpen has been incredible. And as we speak, Aaron Judge hit a home run. Of course. Yankees are winning one nothing. And Nestor Cortez has five innings of one-hit ball so far. Oh, there you go. There you go. So, you know, and look, the Rays, the Rays lineup doesn't scare anybody, especially without Wanda Franco in it. Uh, so, but the Rays are a team that probably, look, they're always in contention. You know, you look at the Rays and they're 35 and 25 somehow. They're 10 games over 500. Somehow, someway, that team is 10 games over 500. It's incredible. It's 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 the typical, the old cliche, smoke and mirrors, man. I, and I, you know just, what? Speaking of even Tampa, Boston, too. Even Boston is lingering around three games on over 500, kind of lingering around a bit here, Boston. You got to Well, they were, they were 10 under. They've been playing. Yeah. They've been playing really good baseball recently. They've been playing really good baseball, Boston. So And with Tampa, too. I mean, I don't I, – I, we've never understood how they've done it. But, like, besides Wanda Franco – and this, this might be a hot take, too. Their best player besides Franco is probably a Rosarena. Do you a think Rosarena is a little overrated? He had a, a good bit. He had a good postseason. Yeah. But besides that, I don't look at him as a star player. I no, think he's, he's a, not he's a star a, player. He's a good little player. 
Good player. That's what he is. He's a good player. And good somehow, player some way, with, like you said, they're always in it. Somehow, 10, 10 games even, over 500. Even Toronto as well. Toronto is 11 games over 500. You look up and down their lineup, Rob. They have not hit. They have no. not hit yet. Vlad's Guerrero hit really 230. Bichette's yeah. hit 240. Teoscar yeah. Hernandez, who had 120 RBIs last year. He missed a bunch of time with an oblique injury. He came back. He's hit 220. So, and I know, and I know he hasn't done much with Texas, but you got to wonder if they miss what Marcus Simeon did for them last year. Yeah, the forty bombs missing from that lineup, and he hasn't done much with Texas. I mean, actually, nope. just hit his first homer last week. Yeah. So, but neither still, is you know, that's, neither both of those guys have not. That's been, a lot of offensive production to replace that they tried to replace with uh, with uh, with um, Matt Chapman. Well, I think that's just a testament, again, to how bad the American League is because a, a team like Texas is the perfect example. They go out and they spend $250 million, whatever it was, on Simeon. He's hitting on the 200 and just hit his first home run last week. They spend, they spend $325 million on Corey Seager, who's hitting 220. They have no pitching. Look at the standings. The Rays are a game over 500. Yeah. Because they're playing the Oakland A's and they're playing well, the Tigers the, yeah, and the, the Royals. And, yeah, yeah, the Rangers. So this is the thing. Like, this is a team that their two best players are underperforming wildly. They have no pitching. They stink. And they're a game above 500. It, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. And you know what? This is why I say this is why this lockout happened and lasted as long as it did. And that's why the players feel as strongly as they do on a lot of these issues. Because there are... Going into this season, particularly, there were 12, 13, 14 teams where you looked at and you knew it was a lock that those teams would not even sniff the playoffs. That's a problem. It's a major problem. You even have more teams now that you thought would perform better this season that are not. One of them being Texas. Another one, the Angels, who had a, what, a 13, 14 game losing streak. Yeah. And they are now four games under 500. Another team that has been unbelievably disappointing is the Seattle Mariners. You know, you would have thought Jared Kalensic with him there, Julio Rodriguez coming in, who's actually been playing pretty well, bringing in the Cy Young Award winner, Robbie Ray, as somebody hit a Yeah, McNeil. Home run. McNeil home yep. run. Yep. Three McNeil. All right, three to one. You know, bringing in Robbie Ray, you know, to go along with the pitching staff they had from last year, which was pretty good. And the Mariners haven't really performed well. The and Athletics, it, you know, were going to stink because and they, got the they best, basically best, had a fire uh, sale. They got the best closer in baseball in Seattle, too, and Paul Sewell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, Paul Sewell. Did anybody remember that name, where he came from? Yep. Unreal. Like I, and again, it goes back to saying, sometimes guys just yeah. change the scenery. Change the scenery, yeah. A different point. voice, point. a different philosophy, you know, Good different point. sort of mechanics or whatever. One but guy you know what? something, and, the other guy didn't. I, I got to say, though, and this is a little bit off the beaten path, but when the Mariners came to town, did you hear what Seawald said? And he made some kind of a motion or gesture towards the crowd, too. He came out with some kind of a comment saying it's good to be in a place where you, you're actually given a chance or where the, the, the team actually gives you a chance to play and the fans actually appreciate you. Like, dude, you were here for four years and you pitched to a 6.7 ERA. How much you more sucked. of a chance did you want? Yeah. You sucked. That's why you, you got – like, but whatever. Anyways. He could have came in from the bullpen. We could have gave him a standing ovation. He still would have sucked. So enough of Paul Seawald. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's get into our Messies here. You know, and I tell you, it's a breath of fresh air for us, Andrew, because this was a team that we seen that was wildly inconsistent at the plate, striking out a lot, was terrible with runners in scoring position, struggled to make contact, looked like they had no, they had no uh, idea of what the strike zone was. 
And all of a sudden this year, you look at them and they lead the league in runs scored, believe it or not, the Mets. But yet they're in the middle of the pack in home runs. Uh, this is a team that just really relies on contact. Relies on contact. They're hitting the other way. It's a breath of fresh air to see the way the Mets have approached um, their at-bats with Eric Chavez now uh, as their hitting coach. It yeah. really, really is a breath of fresh air. It's wonderful to see. Jeff McNeil is back. Uh, he's back to his his ways of, of a couple of years ago. The old Jeff McNeil that remember. Lindor has been still wildly inconsistent. He's in the midst of another slump here. He's been up and down. Uh, he's been hot and cold. When he gets hot, he's hot. When he gets cold, he gets cold. Yeah. Alonzo, for the most part, I mushed him into a great season because I basically took Alonzo to task at the beginning of the season. I know you love the guy. You backed him up all the way to your credit, but I'm going to take credit for this because <laughs> Alonzo and Luis Guillaume have, have really had terrific season seasons, and those are two guys I have unbelievably destroyed. So I'll take credit for that. But, you know, all in all, all kidding aside, you know, the Mets are 18 games over 500 with the Braves now coming on strong, winning 13 in a row here, the Braves. Phillies, after the firing of Joe Girardi, have won 10 of the last 11. They won today in a walk-off three-run home run. Uh, you know, I'm not worried so much about the Phillies. You have to worry about the Braves because of that pedigree. But the Braves, again, are building uh, a winning streak, much like the Mets did, by playing uh, – the, the Reds and the Nationals of the world, teams that are really the Pirates that have no shot at winning whatsoever. And the Braves have ran off 13 in a row, which isn't easy, even against playing garbage teams, Andrew. And we'll see, because the Braves do have to take that trip out to the West Coast that the Mets took. Mets went 5-5. Five and five. Again, we would have signed up for that, knowing before the start of the trip, I said it too, go 5-5. Five and five. That'll be fine. That's a tough trip, especially when you're doing it out, your top two pitches in DeGrom and Scherzer, you're piecing it together with Carrasco and Walker and Peterson and Bassett. Uh, the bullpen's been okay. Trevor Williams, great. yeah. Trevor Williams started two games on that trip too. Trevor yeah. Williams started a couple of games. Trevor May's been out. Uh, Lugo's been a little inconsistent. Diaz has been good. But, you know, it's just funny. They're not really getting a lot from their pitching staff, but yet they're somehow piecing it together. Uh, and we're hopeful that, DeGrom and Scherzer. Now, DeGrom is, uh, has uh, ramped up to like 30 pitches, and Scherzer's thrown to live hitters now. In fact, he's in the dugout tonight, which is a great sign. You got to hope that you have both those guys back by the All-Star break, which would be terrific. And as long as the Mets are in position like they are now, maybe five or six games up, I, I tell you, you'd have to expect them to win the division, Andrew. You, you have to. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's, you know, I'm going back to what thing you said before about it being a breath of fresh air. It's like refreshing to see how much this team goes bat to ball. Putting a ball in play, playing small ball, getting a runner in from third base, less than two outs, something they had a devil of a time doing last year. They've been able to do it well this year. But it's funny. All the criticisms we had of the way Cashman built the Yankees over the past few years with too much reliance on the home run ball. We wanted more guys who can put con you can make contact, right? The Mets finally have that. And right now I look at this team and I think the one thing they're missing is I think they're missing somebody with pop. And like, you know, it's just it's funny. But the reason I say that is because 
you have so many singles, doubles hitters. When you're trying to get a rally going, it's it's very hard to string together four, five, six consecutive hits or hits in a row to have multi-run innings. Whereas you can get the three hits in a row by getting the walk, the bloop, and the blast. And besides Alonzo, there's really nobody on his team who's hit the ball with any sort of power. Lindor had a, a hot power streak early on. I think he has one home run in the last 24 games, Lindor. So he's fallen off with the power. You know, Marte's hitting for a little bit of power, nothing crazy. Dominic Smith sent down to AAA. There's really no other power threat in this lineup. If you go out and get somebody at the deadline to provide some pop, doesn't necessarily need to be an everyday player. Could be someone who DHs and splits time with J.D. Davis, whatever the case may be. You know, Escobar is another guy last year, 25, 25 home run, 90 RBI guy. He's yeah. not hitting for any power either. So Yeah, well, you know, the guys that, are, that have given you pop in the past are not giving you the pop now. Like you said, Escobar, Lindor. Yeah. But they're hitting, you know, those guys, you got the guys of, you know, the Cannes and McNeil's and Marte's and Nimmo's of the world that are all hit 280 plus. So it's very refreshing. And Alonzo even too, he's got his average up to 290 and he's got the 17, 18 home runs. But, you know, I'm just, I don't know if it's like pessimistic me who's so used to this team not being able to do this that I don't know if they'll be able to do it for the full season. But, you know, it's just my feeling that I feel like one more power bat doesn't need to be like a Joey Gallo all or nothing type bat, but just someone who can hit the ball out of the ballpark on a more consistent basis than no, but I'll be once honest every you, 24 Andrew, I think, games. I think this lineup, the way it's constructed and, and their philosophy of hitting now plays better in the playoffs than a team that just, because we've seen it with the Yankees, a team that either strikes out or hit home runs gets thwarted in the playoffs. By oh, yeah, pitching. for sure, for sure. So when that's you have a lineup that can work a count, built this way. they can work a count, they can work a count deep, they can draw walks, they can play little ball, a small ball, they can they can hit the other way, they can hit against the shift. That goes, that goes a longer way in the playoffs than a team that could just slug their way. But look at it, look at it this way, though. Look at a guy like Nelson Cruz, who for his career and this year, too, he's hitting to his career standards. I think he's got 10 home runs and he's hitting to a 260 average. So he's on pace to have a normal Nelson Cruz year, 25 plus home runs hitting the 250 to 260 range. Like a guy like that, I think, would be a good complement to this order. That type of hitter, not the all or nothing 35 home run strikeout 200 time type guy right oh yeah no doubt like you mentioned you had mentioned the other day jd martinez but now if the you know he listen he's a free agent at the end of the season you got to wonder what the red sox thinking will be will, will the red sox if they're in a wild card contention and right now they surely are well now you know I, we had this conversation two weeks ago they've won 12 or 15 and now four games yeah. over 500 in a wild card spot yeah. so that so they're in a wild the card spot. on that idea what, what what do they do with a jd martinez who is a free agent at the end of the season. Do they look at it and say, well, you know, do we really have a shot to win a World Series? Do we have a shot to make it to a World Series here? Well, the way the American League is constructed right now, why not? Yeah, they were in the ALCS in a rebuilding year last year. Yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah. So I, I don't know if J.D. Martinez will be, will, will, will be available come trading deadline. You'll have to look at teams like the Pirates. You'll have to look at teams like the Reds, uh, teams like the Athletics, teams like possibly even the Rangers or Angels at this point, you know, maybe for that sort of a bat that that'll kind of play their way out of contention, even for a wild card. 
From from what I'm reading, it, it seems like the and Mets Wilson are. And Wilson Contreras will be another guy. Contreras will be another guy. Well, the, be... the, yeah, the catcher the catcher is an interesting and conversation. He'll be, ava- he'll, be an ava- he'll be available for sure. And the, from what I read, the Mets it looked like they might be aggressive in trying to get one more bat in a part time role, um, to like be a part time DH. And like some of the names who will number one, definitely. Cause again, it's early in the season. So it's a way too early prediction as to wh- where teams are going to be. But like, it just included the teams that everybody knows is going to be way out of it and are going to be sellers of the trade deadline. And none of the names out there are, are going to excite anybody as far as part-time players, you know, like some of the guys I was reading, like Carlos Santana is one guy he's hit 210. Steven Piscotty from the Oakland A's is another, like those are the type of, Bats that you know for sure are going to be available that are really not high impact, move the needle type guys. But then again, I don't necessarily think this team is this this lineup is lacking that much where you need a big time needle mover. I just think it would be useful because they are lacking some pop in terms of hitting the ball out of the park. But I think, you know, all of it depends on health with the Grom and Scherzer. You hope those guys are back because if those guys are back and you already have Carrasco and Walker and Bassett, and Tyler McGill, then you all of a sudden you don't need to be in the market for a starting pitcher and starting pitchers. They always get overpaid for at the deadline because everyone's always looking to add starting pitching. The easiest thing to address at the deadline is bullpen help. And there's a shit ton of relievers that are going to be available and you can get, get, get some without mortgaging the entire farm system. So that'll be an easy thing to address. And if those two top dogs in the rotation are healthy, then all of a sudden your rotation is set too. And there's really not too much you have to do at the deadline. Really? No, absolutely not. You know, absolutely not. But look, I mean, I, I think when do the Braves go on a West Coast trip? I think it's, a, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's is the it first week the of All- July. It's before the All-Star break then? If I'm not mistaken, it's the first week of July. But I could, let me, I'm going to double check that for you. Because that's going to be a, a true test. If the Mets could gain some traction here by having, oh, no, never, you know. Never, never mind. Never mind. I'm, I'm mistaken. I was uh, I was mistaken there. They already uh, they already played the Dodgers and Padres. They're they're playing the Dodgers and Padres at home, which is fine. Even if they're not on the West Coast, those sort you know the West Coast teams themselves. They got eight games. Uh, they got they got uh, seven games. They got four against San Francisco and three against the Dodgers, followed by three against the Phillies. So that's a 10 game stretch against competitive teams. And that is at the end of this month from June 20th until June 30th, that 10 day stretch at that same point is when the Mets will play teams like the Reds, the Pirates, the Rangers, winnable games that they, that they have uh, and where they could gain some more ground back. When when they play those games, the Mets have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, Seven games against the Marlins and four games against the Astros. Marlins are tough, man. Those t- top two pitches there. Lopez and Alcantara. Unreal. Alca- unreal. Yeah. Those two guys are unreal. You got to be careful with that team. I've always said watch the Marlins with their pitching staff. Those two guys are dominant. Dominant. You know, this, of- is when, this is when we need our two aces back. The part of the schedule I'm looking at is in September here. September 6th. Through September fifteenth. Yeah, I don't really want to look that far ahead because that's, I kind of want to. That's the West Coast trip that the the 
Atlanta's going on. And when you go on a West Coast trip, I really don't even think it matters with the opponents. Like the beginning of that West Coast trip, they play two games against Oakland. But you know what? That first game of that West Coast trip is like a killer with the time difference and everything. So like it really doesn't even matter who you're playing. You're at a disadvantage. So yeah, that's when their their next West Coast trip is. They went to LA in April, which I did not I did not realize. But again, at well, that point, we the at that same time, I know it's looking way far in advance, but that same time the Mets got the Cubs and the Pirates. Yeah, I, I would think that if the Mets add a bat, it's going to be from within their own organization. You had mentioned Vientos. You had mentioned uh, Alvarez. Uh, even if Dominic Smith comes back, let's see what he could do. But I, I don't think the Mets will have enough to go out and get somebody with the likes of a J.D. Martinez, even if he was available. And again, I doubt if he would be if the Red Sox are in contention for a wild card spot. I don't think they'll be in contention for a division, but for a wild card spot, certainly. Well, the Mets don't have a ton of maneuverability either because they have, have sort of said this without openly proclaiming it. They, they kind of have three untouchables in Alvarez, Beatty, and Matt Allen, who not a lot of people are talking about because he underwent Tommy John surgery, but that's another prospect they absolutely love, and I'd be shocked if they moved him. So you got yeah. three guys who are untouchable, and this is a team that lacks that organizational depth that we've talked about. So – there's really not a ton of room to maneuver as far as no. expendable pieces either. So you're not even going to be able to get into a bidding war with teams like the Dodgers and, and Cardinals and Braves, other teams that are in contention looking to move pieces. You can't outbid them. Yeah. The only way you can get a guy would be if a guy was making some decent money for a team that's just been terrible, whether it be the Pirates, the Reds, the Mariners, uh, even maybe put the Rangers in there and they're looking just to get that money off the books, even if for a half a season. Or even if you got to take that contract on for a couple more seasons, you know, so. But that's the, I, I, that's I, I the think idea even, way. I, I don't even know if they'd be willing to do that, being that Cano is a non-factor. Releasing him, you still got his money. So I don't even know if they'd be willing to do that, to be, to be honest with you. Well, you know, look, you know, let's, let's see where Stevie Cohn's pockets lie by the trading deadline, or even before the trading deadline, you know. I don't, I don't think they're going to get that bat that we're looking for. I just don't think it's going yeah. to be there. The resources aren't there for us to trade. Um, I just don't think it's going to be there. I just don't. Well, listen, here's, here's the bottom line. I see it, the overwhelming narrative among a lot of Met fans is being nervous that the Braves have gone on this 13 game winning streak and have cut the lead to five games when it was 10 and a half and a week and a half ago. And here's what I'll say. Number one, like you said, Rob, no matter who you're playing, whether you're playing against little league teams, winning 13 in a row is tough to do. So kudos to them for doing it. They're not going to continue to do this for much longer. They're going to come back down to earth. That's first of all. Second of all, I'd be concerned if the lead shrunk from 10 and a half to five, because the Mets were playing poorly but it didn't shrink because the Mets are playing poorly. The Mets are 12 and five in their last 17 games and have lost yeah. five games in the standings because the Braves have gone 15 and one 13 yes. in a row, 15 and one. That's why the, the lead has shrunk to how it is. So I just curb the nervousness a little bit because this team is still playing good baseball. If the Mets just went on that West coast trip and went two and eight, and that's why this lead shrunk to what it was, then I would totally understand people being nervous and saying, same old bets, it's June, the June swoon, whatever. But I'd say let's pump the brakes because they're still playing good baseball. They're finding a way to win. They won the first game against a really good Brewers team last night. 
they're within striking distance again tonight against Corbin Burns. And that's if Jake Reed is able to get out of this. Yeah, Jake Reed, the they, just loaded, hit, but. they just hit the third batter of the game. Right now, the Mets are treating the Brewers like everybody else treats the Mets. Yeah. They're hitting every other guy at the plate. Pretty much. But, you know, a guy, you know, a guy I, I don't know, his name just came to mind because I was looking at the Orioles roster. And a guy like Trey Mancini is an interesting guy. And I looked at his contract. He signed a one-year contract uh, for $7.5 million. And, with, and they have a mutual option for $10 million in 2023. He'd be the type of guy you might want to look at. Um, wouldn't, you wouldn't have to give up a lot, maybe a couple of low-level prospects, which the Mets could probably afford to do at this point. And he's the type of guy that could probably step in and DH and get him out of a situation in Baltimore. You never know what you could unleash. He's had some, uh, you know, he's had some good years prior to you know, him having the, uh, the colon cancer as well. Came back strong last year, even after the colon cancer. So he, he listen, he was, uh, I know these are your favorite types of players. He was runner up in the home run derby to uh, Pete Alonso. He'd be your oh, favorite yeah. type of player. He'd fit right in. Yeah. Has home run no, derby he, experience. But, you know, he, he'd be the type of guy you would look at. He'd be that type of guy that can give you some pop. He could DH. Yeah. And kind of, um, kind of a gone with the old in with the new, they're kind of ushering but, in that right. young talent over there in Baltimore. They called up Rutschman. They got a, that kid right. Grayson Rodriguez is coming up soon. You know, you know, they, they could, just called up Kyle spell, Bradish, who's been good. He could spell and give Alonzo a break at first base once in a while. You don't want to see J.D. Davis's glove there. I mean, we've seen him there. We don't need to see him. We, we've seen him at third base. We don't need to see him at first base. Uh, and again, you know, does Mancini duplicate what J.D. Davis does? Yeah. But the Mets could always use a right, another right-handed bat, whether it be off the bench or at DH, to be honest with you at this point. So, but JD you know, is JD is streaky. At least Mancini's a professional. And you know what you're going to get. Right. You know what you're going to get from him. You know what you're going to get. So, right. you know, but those are guys that you would look at. You're not going to be looking at the big names, the Nelson Cruz's and the JD Martinez's, because, you know, not only that, even if they are available, there'll be a big market for guys like that, especially now that you have the DH in play in the National League. So, you know, you'll probably have to give up a little more than what you want to for, for guys of that ilk. So but. I'm not exactly JD. I can understand because JT is one of the premier hitters in the game. Nelson Cruz. I really don't. I mean, one year deal Nats team. That's way out of it. I mean, I, I, at this point, if they're not trading Soto, you could probably make the argument that Cruz is probably their most valuable asset. So they might try to squeeze what they can out of them, but I, I'm not sure a guy like that is going to command that much, but then again, you realize who the who the Rays gave up to get Nelson Cruz last year at the deadline, and that's Joe Ryan, who Joe went Ryan. to Minnesota and is having an yeah. incredible year. He's been out with, with COVID for a while. Yeah. I guess he had lingering symptoms. He just, just came, came back, back he just, yesterday. Yeah, he just came back. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I know. Look, that's going to – you know, when, when the time comes, it's going to be an interesting situation with Soto. And if the, if the Nationals feel that they have no chance of signing him, they're not going to sign him in his walk – they're not going to trade him in his walk year. As Jake Reed just speaking of walks, with the base yep. loaded, unreal. Uh, I mean, you got to find something better than a Jake Reed here in your system. But you know, they'll they'll trade him the year before Juan Soto, uh, and then there'll be a bidding war, and more than likely he'll wind up on the Dodgers. So yeah, I mean, how could he not? With all the talent level that they have, he'll wind up on the Dodgers. But we'll see. So and they always seem to, you know, they. 
they trade, it seems like they trade six top 10 prospects per year. And then the very next year, their top six prospects are better than everyone else's. So they just churn out talent. Like it's nobody's business. It's incredible. And Never this, is where the Mets, this is where the Mets need to get some desperate, they desperately need some bullpen help, especially in the early innings. You know, Trevor May's probably got about another month before he comes back. And, you know, maybe some of his, some of the concerns we've seen with May was due to the elbow injury. Um, but, you know, the Mets signed him, you know, com- coming off a couple of really good years with, I mean, he wasn't even close there, Reed. My God. He I mean, swung he went, <laughs> My God. Oh, my. <laughs> you know, he just heard Keith Hernandez say he was four feet outside. And you know what today is, Andrew? It's 39 years to the day that the Mets made the infamous trade that basically propelled them to that 86 World Series for Keith Hernandez. Is that right? 39 years today? 39 years to the day. And I'm going to tell you something. little story about your friend here. I'll never forget driving. I was, I was still living in Brooklyn at the time. Driving, I was getting onto the entrance of the Belt Parkway, heading towards Dyker Park where I was, uh, had a softball game. And I remember Bob Murphy giving the defensive alignment for the, for the Mets. And he started with uh, Hernandez at first. And I'm saying, Hernandez at first. I'm saying, who? Backman at second or whatever. It was. And I'm saying, Hernandez. They must have brought up some guy, Hernandez, I never heard of. After he reads the defensive alignment, he gives the details of the trade for Keith Hernandez. I nearly crashed my car into the, into the guardrail on the Bell Parkway because <laughs> I could not believe that they got Keith Hernandez for Neil Allen and Rick Ownby. And if you knew, or if you ever saw Neil Allen as a relief pitcher for the Mets, he was the guy that would walk the bases loaded and somehow tightrope his way out of trouble. He was maddening, almost like John Franco, like, but only as a righty. Rick Ownby was just a, a middling prospect. Not much. Basically, Whitey Herzog had it with Keith Hernandez. You know, at that time, Keith Hernandez, uh, you know, a couple of years prior, as much as he won the MVP, he had a cocaine problem. And Whitey Herzog could not stand Keith Hernandez because of that. So they had some issues. Whitey Herzog basically just wanted him off the team. And somehow, some way, he wound up in the Mets. Now, the Mets still had to sign Keith Hernandez because he was a free agent. And Keith Hernandez, uh, I forgot who the guy he said he spoke to. But he spoke to another player from another team, as well as another executive, and said, if I were you, I'd stick with this team because you have no idea what they got coming through that pipeline right now. It's dominant. And it was Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry. So uh, mixed in with the, with the trade of Ron Darling and Bob Ojeda, and that brought us to that 86 championship. But without Hernandez, none of that happens. None of it happens. Keith Hernandez was just, I mean, look, he's not a Hall of Fame player, but he's one of the great players that I saw play just because of his impact on the game as a field general, at the plate, as a leader. I, I just exceptional. Exceptional. So, and this game's getting out of control. Yeah. 
Lindor boots a ground ball. Now Jake yeah. Reed's throwing batting practice. Yeah. And Lindor's made a couple errors here, back-to-back nights. So Lindor's got to get his game back up. Um, he needs to take accountability for what uh, for his play recently, Lindor. So as Buck comes out to take out Jake Reed, who is just I, – I just don't understand how this guy still has a spot on the roster. I don't. I have no idea. I mean, he's the guy basically that you tell him, all right, bring in a gas can because we just want to blow up the entire building. So Yeah, and they brought him in in a 3-1 game. Uh, you- yeah. Can't be doing that. Can't be doing yep. that. And Trevor Williams is coming in now. Why don't you just bring Trevor Williams in from the start? If you needed someone and to eat innings for you, and it's a 3-1 like, ball game. Much like I expected, Colorado's up 2 nothing. Yeah. Because Tampa's they – have, they haven't seen a team of this ability. They have not seen a team of this ability. So, yeah, I, 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 uh, I kind of figured this to happen. You have told me that story before about Keith, and uh, I've always found it so interesting because it's actually three to one now. Three to one. There you go. Yeah, I've always kind of found it interesting because my, for the most part, my life as a sports fan has been in the age of cell phones and Twitter and the ESPN app, and you know, you 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 hear stuff churning through the rumor mill weeks before it even happens. So I can't imagine being alive at that point where you had no idea a trade occurred until Bob Murphy told you that someone was playing first base with the name Hernandez and it still didn't yeah. even register at first who the hell it was. Like that that's that's amazing to me. It's the it's, only other option we had was was nine seven six one three one three and that was sports phone. Yeah. And it used to be a guy, King Wally for the sports phone. And any of the uh, the guys of, of my generation that's listening to this podcast right now will certainly remember that. You used to have to make a phone call to get updates. Like every 20 minutes, they give you a different update as far as uh, any potential news. <clears throat> so, but at that point, I was just driving in my car. Yeah, I had no cell phone. There was no internet back then or anything. So you had to just rely on old-fashioned radio. Yeah, that's incredible. But, that's incredible. Quite and the that's surprise. Why, that's why, like, I've, I've been incredibly fortunate. Can't complain. I've seen the Steelers win twice, but I've said this before. You know, seeing – it's a little different as a Steelers fan because I'm not from the city. So, like, when they won, you know, me and my dad are super into it. And we enjoy the hell out of it. But it's, it's a totally different scenario when you talk about the, the Mets and the Rangers because we're part of the city. And seeing the way that the city reacted in 86 when the Mets won, seeing how the city reacted in 94 when the Rangers won, that's why I'm yearning to experience something yeah. like that. I was because... at both those parades, and it was incredible. Yeah. It yeah. was incredible. Well, it didn't happen with the Rangers this year, but we can hope with the Mets. They're, they're looking promising. You know, that's, so. and that's, and that's a disappointing part. And that's another reason why I get disappointed with what happened to the Rangers because you are that close. And the feeling of winning a championship, especially with the Rangers, who I've only seen one in my lifetime, you haven't seen any. I've only seen one Met World Series, really two, but I was only seven years old when they won in 69 or six years old. Um, so I kind of remember it a little, but not a lot. So really, truly only that one. I mean, that's hard. You know, you want, especially 
you know, the, the passionate, emotional fans that me and you are for these teams. So, you know, that's why seeing the Giants win four Super Bowls, I don't give them a pass for, for what they've done these past five, six years because there's no excuse for this sort of poor play and, and the dysfunction that they had in the organization. But at least I could say I've seen them win four. Right. You know, right. and you could fall and back two on of them, two of them within the last 15 years. So I could fall back on that. You know, that's, the Knicks, that, you know, that's, that's how I feel with the Steelers too. I mean, they're headed for, right. not that they're going to be like a laughing stock of the league, but they're headed towards a period of time now where they're not going to be as competitive as they have been, but they've been competitive for 15 years now. Won two Super Bowls. So, like, I, I just accept it. I've been incredibly, incredibly fortunate. And at the same time, they were winning Super Bowls was the same time where the Rangers were uncompetitive and, and the Mets were uncompetitive. So, you know, it just sort of – it's starting to align. You know, this window is opening for the Rangers. And since Steve Cohen took over the Mets and they're spending money, this window has seemed to open up for them. So, it's like ushering them into the contention while the Steelers take a step back. So, but like I said, it's just, it's a totally different feeling being part of the city. I'm not in Pittsburgh. I'd love to be there for the parade, but even still, like I'm not in Pittsburgh. I know a bunch of Steeler fans. They got a fan base that spreads throughout the country. Fan base travels. Well, everybody knows that, but it's not the same. Like you're in the city. I live to see, you know, the Rangers or the Mets dominating the tabloids and the papers and to be trending on Twitter. And for no matter where you go, you go to the grocery store, you go to get gas, you go to work anywhere, and everyone's sporting their gear and talking about the team. Like, that's that that's that's when you know it's big time, you know? Okay, so, so let, let's change subjects real fast. And Boomer Siderson brought up a pretty good point today. I thought it was interesting. And I, and I doubt if you watched the show or listened to the show today, but I, I want to throw this at you right now. And, you know, he brought it up. And he started the conversation with Lamar Jackson. And he feels like it's so intriguing what's going to happen with Lamar Jackson with these contract negotiations. Now, from all things that you hear, Lamar Jackson's negotiating his own deal here. Mm -hmm. Okay, whatever. The dilemma for, for the Ravens is, do they give him that contract, especially coming off of what... The Sean Watson guy, do they give him that five-year, 230 to $240 million deal? Now, not even having to answer that question, but starting from today into the future, he posed a question and said, basically named quarterbacks from each team in the AFC and said, would you take that guy over Lamar Jackson? Would you take that guy over Lamar Jackson? I'm going to ask you that same sort of question. Okay. Let's go into the AFC West. Patrick Mahomes going forward. Yes. Okay. Derek Carr going forward. Yes. You take Carr over Lamar. Yes. Okay. Davis Mills. No. I'm sorry. I skipped that. My bad. I went to the South. Uh, Herbert, Justin Herbert. Yes. Russell Wilson. Yes. How old is Russell Wilson now? 33? 32, I think he is. So yeah. he's, he's, still, he's still got another four four years left in the tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm taking okay. Russell Wilson. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Josh Allen. Yes. Mac Jones. No. Okay, so, so far, 
your five yeses and one no. Yeah. Yep. Tua. No. You're five and two now. Zach Wilson. No. Five and three. Let's go to the north. Joe Burrow. Yes. Six and three. Kenny Pickett. You can go to the next one. You know my answer to that. Six already. and four. Deshaun Watson, let's say he plays. Deshaun Watson, if he plays. You know, that's an interesting one because he hasn't played in so long. So, uh, but in the time that Deshaun Watson played, I think he's a better overall quarterback than Lamar Jackson. So I'd lean towards yes. Now you're seven and four. Matt Ryan. No, I take Lamar over Matt Ryan. Seven and five. Ryan Tannehill. No, I'm taking Lamar over him, too. Seven and six. Davis Mills. No. Here's an interesting one. Trevor Lawrence. Mm, no, I'm taking Lamar over Trevor. I'm ta- See, I'm taking Trevor. I think Trevor. I mean, the, will- the potential is there and through the roof, but I mean. Well, he- that's, the, that's the whole thing going forward. You know, so it's an interesting scenario that you have eight quarterbacks you think are better than Lamar going down the road. Is he worked at $240 million? Yeah, I mean, he, he literally – and that's just in the AFC. You didn't even go to the NFC. That's the AFC, no, and he is middle of the pack. You, middle of right, the pack. Right. Along the lines with every, all the that's other That's why AFC this was such a – you know, it was an interesting thing that Boomer had brought up. Yeah. that That's, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, you almost now we, but we know, like, though, you always have to remember that the quarterbacks are not getting paid according to their value. They're getting paid according to market value. So as long as you're viewed as a franchise quarterback, you're most likely going to set the next record for guaranteed money. So the value okay. doesn't always match up from that perspective. No, but, but I see he, what you're saying. Look, right. But look, you almost feel that if the Ravens don't sign them, where do you go for a quarterback? But then again, do you spend $240 million on a guy that basically relies on his legs to succeed who's not a great downfield passer who is injury prone who plays a physical style does not have a big body who also lucked out because of where he was drafted with a system that they were able to build it be- around it benefits, his skill set right it there's no doubt in my mind set. I can think of a couple teams maybe off the top of my head, but there's no doubt in my mind, 24 to 25 teams in the league, if Lamar would have ended up there, you would have never heard from him again. There's only a select number of teams that I think would have been conducive to what he does because Baltimore's playbook is just, it's it's catered to him and only him. And uh, well, not only him because they do the same thing with Huntley and it works for him too. It's just, it's a weird playbook where, they have their type of quarterback that fits the mold and fits that scheme and it's able to work. So, so yeah, you know, I it, mean, it's, it's an interesting dilemma that they have. It really, really is. It really is. It's, it's an interesting dilemma that they have because that's a hell of a lot of money you're guaranteed to a guy. But not only that, you got rid of, you, you traded Marquise Brown. So now he's left with, okay, Mark Andrews had a hell of a season, but you know what? Mark Andrews, only played 75% of the snaps. You got J.K. Dobbins coming back along with Gus Edwards. So you have a running game intact. But as far as that's concerned, your other receivers are what? Devin Duvernay and Rashad Bateman? 
Yeah, they traded Hollywood Brown away, who wasn't yeah. even all that good to begin with. No. Hollywood Brown evidently wanted it out because he felt like that system was never going to benefit him. Look, he's a guy that's going to want to get paid. Yeah, I mean, so you're in that go Raven play system. with Kyla Murray, which is basically right. the same thing. Well, I think he feels like, you know, Chris uh, Klingsbury will, will, will air it out more than what the Ravens do. And also the fact that as far as being a downfield passer, maybe Murray's a little bit better, not as much better than, than you know, uh, not, a little bit better than Lamar Jackson. So, uh, again, Lamar Jackson, to me. See, that's an interesting – I mean, that's it, – it's, uh, I think, besides the point for, for the main argument, but is he? Is Kyler Murray definitively a better downfield passer than Lamar Jackson? I don't know oh, if he I, is. I, I think he is slightly I, – I, I, because only because Lamar looks to run first. Kyler, Kyler will run. He'll run but he'll look to get the ball downfield first. Right. Uh, Lamar right away will not go through his, his reads. Right. Right. His secondary and tertiary reads. He'll just immediately put the ball down and take off. Right. That's his game. So, you know, it's interesting. I'll be honest with you. It wouldn't shock me if the Ravens brought in OBJ. You know, you hear that the Rams want to bring him back, but it would not shock me if they brought him in because I can't see how you can give a guy like Lamar five years, $230 million, let's say, and not give him the proper weapons. I don't see it. And there's no way you're going to be able to surround him with the weapons once you give him that money unless you get a guy like OBJ coming off an injury who's not going to get top dollar. And that becomes and still another still has problem. that but still electrifying enough where well, one thing about the Ravens, one thing about the Ravens is they draft well, except for wide receiver, except for wide receiver. (laughs) Yeah. They draft well though. Now is uh, you have to think that a little bit of this snag here is because he's representing himself and he probably has a number in mind and he's probably not moving off of it when it comes to negotiations. Like, if he had an actual agent that was sitting down and having these conversations with the front office, don't you think they'd come to a little bit more of an understanding at this point? Uh, you know, I'm going to tell you, I think the biggest obstacle right now is the guaranteed money that they gave to Deshaun Watson, Cleveland. I think that that's the big problem. That's, see, setting, that's, setting, that's setting a precedent. I see people saying that they firmly believe, and not that this is coming from any inside information that they have, it's just their gut feeling. But I've seen people who are saying that they firmly believe that Deshaun Watson will not play another snap in the NFL. You know, it's just interesting how the NFL is so quiet on this right now. This guy's allowed to be in OTAs. He's allowed to be around the team. He's allowed to be in the facilities. You know, it's just he's allowed to talk to the media like he did yesterday. And, you know, I understand they've brought no criminal charges against him. But, you know, the NFL suspended guys just because, even though there wasn't a criminal charge against them. You have 26 women that have come out so far. Additional two after he wasn't indicted on the charges. Right. You you think this is just 26 women all lying? Even if half were lying, it's still 13. I mean, come on. You know, where's the investigation on the NFL's part? Well, I, I, where's this big investigation that they did for, you know, for, for, for having 0.001 less PSIs in a football? 
you know, where, where was the big investigation that they had for Spygate? Where's the big investigation? Where is it? Where is it? You don't hear the NFL saying anything about this. They've turned their back and walked away on it. You know and what? They, allowed, they allowed was... the Browns to make a trade, a monumental trade, and then give him a monumental contract. Fully guaranteed. Fully guaranteed. I mean, that should have been thwarted. Well, and the conversation still existed, too. Even though he was away from the team last year, he wasn't put on any sort of restricted list or anything like that. He was just away from the team. So that's why the conversation remained. If he was put on the restricted list or the exempt list or whatever the case may be, where you couldn't touch him, couldn't trade for him, wasn't getting paid, getting f- whatever the case may be. Like, I understand he was getting fined for being away from the team last year, correct? But he was still collecting a paycheck as far as I, yes. I know. Right. Yes. So that's why this conversation about the team where is he didn't want go? him around either. Andrew. Gonna... The team didn't right. want him around. But that's what I'm saying. That's why this that's conversation why continued to go on about where he right. would get traded. Where does he want to go? Is because right. he wasn't put on any sort of list. They didn't nip it in the butt. They let this conversation be a thing. They then trade for him. And by the way, yeah, the NFL deserves blame because I completely agree from you with you. Where's the Where's the investigation? They investigate all this nonsense. I mean. Christ's sake, they came down with a swift little penalty on Calvin Ridley because he placed a parlay down. A $1,500 bet got that guy one season lost. A $1,500 bet, and he wasn't even playing. A $1,500 bet, that guy, with, within a day, was Adrian, suspended for an entire season. Adrian Peterson was put on the commissioner's exempt list for disciplining his own child. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. But discipline his own child. This right guy away. used Boom. 67 different massage therapists in a four-month span. 26 civil suits against them. We're a year and a half removed from the first allegation. Crickets. And this guy's at OTAs and talking to the media. It's, it's, it's incredible. Problem. And and you hear from these reports that the Browns, not once did they contact anybody. No. In a background check. The, Nothing. The Browns claimed that they had their own investigators look into this and said they found nothing. They're full of shit. And if they did have the investigators, well, I'll tell you the truth. You hired a cartoon character. <laughs> because, uh, you know, look, you know, we're not even looking at it from the standpoint of, of female reporters having to interview him. Or like I brought up to a couple of friends of mine, I said, Who's his massage therapist going to be with, within the organization? Yeah. They got female trainers, female strength coaches. There's a lot of female yeah. personnel on these teams. A lot now. of female personnel. You think they feel comfortable around him? Yeah. And the from what you hear, the, too, you hear that the job. This was common knowledge. You hear, too, that the Houston Texans provided places for the massage therapists to go. It's not like he was walking into your regular massage parlor and doing this sort of stuff. Like he was hiring private people, flying them out two facilities that the Texans were giving him. Yes. Yeah. But yet he's at yeah. OTAs. Like, like nothing's going on. It's, it's incredible. doesn't make any Nothing. sense. Makes no sense. It's almost sickening to a certain level. It really is. It really, it really is. Because again, you have 26 women. So you tell me there's 26 liars uh, amongst them. Okay. Even if there's 25 lies, there's still one. But. I'm sorry. It's just dead wrong. What the NFL is doing is hypocrisy. It's, you know, again, you're investigating all these other little, the Calvin Ridley, the Spygates, 
the PSI football. God forbid Tom Brady took a little air out of a ball. You know, right away, there's full investigations. Full-blown investigations. This, nothing. They walk away. And walk away and allow, inv- and allow this guy to set a precedent in the NFL for a guaranteed contract of that magnitude. Well, this is the shady inner workings of the NFL. Let's also remember, too, the other investigation that's been going on for two years and you haven't heard a word about it. And that's the investigation into Washington with Dan Snyder. The yeah. only thing you heard about it was an email that was leaked of John Gruden and John Gruden lost his job in Vegas. We still haven't yep. heard anything with Washington. What were the nope. findings of that investigation? Yep. Zero. Yeah. Nada. Daniel, Daniel Snyder is another piece of garbage. Right. Everybody knows it. Yet what have they done? Basically go unscathed. They'll go once again, and they'll they'll wait for him to sell the team. Then they'll make a comment. It's hypocrisy at the highest level. It's terrible. It is. It's gross. Yeah, absolutely disgusting. So, but look, we still love football, but it's got its problems. For sure, it's got its problems, and sure. until maybe the fans turn their back on football, which is never going to happen, then maybe there'll be a reaction to it. Well, right now, there's no reaction. There's too much involved between DraftKings and DFS and fantasy football and the gambling on football and just the level of interest in football and all the money that Amazon's putting out. And by the way, they hired Richard Sherman. Now, Richard Sherman, just two years ago, was threatening to kick down the door of his in-laws and his wife and threatening to burn a house down. But we'll hire Richard Sherman for Amazon Prime as an analyst. You know, I mean, I'm sure, maybe, listen, maybe it was just a mistake. But still, guys have paid more of a price. For way less severe actions. For way less severe actions. You know, so they pick and choose their battles. I'm still trying to figure out what I did to warrant me having to sit here and talk to you on Wednesday nights for two hours. I that's a hell of a punishment. I still can't figure out what I did to deserve this. You know, sometimes people are blessed and you just don't realize it. <laughs> I mean, we've done 103 episodes now. I'm still wondering. So maybe I'll get there at some point. <laughs> you know, sometimes you don't realize what you have until the person's gone. Oh, okay. This is how we're going to end the podcast now. Come on now. We're not going to, we're not going to do that. <laughs> God. <laughs> on that note, I didn't say I was going to die, for God's sake. Uh, And now I'm going to be anxiously waiting for next Wednesday, hoping that you answer the Zoom call. (laughs) Now that you you put that thought in my head, now I'm not going to be We got a lot of other things to talk about before then, my friend. (laughs) As always, you can uh, follow Rob on Twitter, RobOG6. You can follow me, R-O-B-B-O-G6. You should always spell that. Uh, you can follow me on my Twitter account, AndrewMay underscore 21. You can follow the show's Twitter account at 4scorethepod. Um, and that'll be all for episode 103, 103, uh, didn't get on for a couple weeks. I know there's some people who listen to us on a weekly basis that were wondering where the hell we were. Um, unlike what Rob was just alluding to, no, we're still here. Nobody's gone. We're still breathing. We're still okay. We just were busy, but we're back and, uh, and going to get back to our hopefully normal weekly scheduled program. 
So until then, everybody have a nice, healthy, safe week. Enjoy the Stanley Cup if you're a hockey fan. Enjoy Mets and Yankees both having the best record in their respective leagues. Enjoy all the news coming out of NFL OTAs. Got the NBA draft coming up soon. A lot of exciting stuff uh, in the sports world. And, hey, it's 85 degrees and sunny every day. Summer's officially here, so enjoy that as well. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. So until we talk to you guys next week, everybody be safe, be healthy. And for Roger Frey, I'm Andrew May. We'll talk to you guys soon.